Good evening. Well, the pledges and promises are coming thick and fast. Yes, Liz Truss now promising farmers a blizzard of EU red tape, unlimited access to foreign seasonal workers, and Rishi Sunak coming out overnight as the most radical tax-cutting chancellor since Nigel Lawson way back in the 1980s, up to 4p to come off basic rate tax. Pledge after pledge from both sides, should we believe them. What always amazes me about politics is every time there is a leadership election for a major party or a general election, people get terribly excited and terribly enthused about all these promises, seemingly having forgotten the previous time they got excited and enthused, which was normally just the election before. Frankly, I find it difficult to believe very much at all of what is promised us by either side. You may say that's because I'm old and cynical. Well, I'd say it's because I'm experienced and I've seen it all before. But I wondered over the weekend, rather than making all these pledges, this government, where mid-term in the Parliament, was elected with an 80-seat majority on a 2019 manifesto. What about putting that manifesto in place first before making a whole load of new pledges. So let's have a look at some of the key points from that 2019 manifesto and let's work out, actually, is it all really happening? So to begin, it was, of course, get Brexit done by the 31st of January 2020. Well, we did legally leave the European Union, but I think anybody sane would argue that the job's only half done, whether we look at Northern Ireland, whether we look at fisheries, whether we look at the fact that our contributions are rising by a further staggering £10 billion, um, and do we have control back over our borders with Europe? Well, it doesn't look like it, and certainly Liz Truss doesn't seem to think it even matters very much. Then, of course, we had the big pledge, invest record sums in our NHS with 50,000 more nurses and 40 new hospitals. So how are we getting on with this? Well, yes, record sums are being invested in the NHS. In fact, health spending is now a staggering 12% of our GDP. It's almost beyond comprehension that it's got to that level. As for 50,000 nurses, well, the numbers have increased by 26,000. So you could say we're on track. And yet the number of vacancies hasn't risen. And there are 6.6 million, despite the money we've spent, on the waiting list. It's partly due to the pandemic, but it's also due to our exploding population, which I'll come to in a moment. But how about the promise of 40 new hospitals by 2030? Well, if ever there was a disingenuous pledge made to the British people, it was that, because I've been looking at the Department of Health and Social Security's definition of what a new hospital is, and a new wing of an existing hospital counts as a new hospital. It actually looks like there might be a maximum of six new hospitals. As I said at the start, why do we believe anything they ever tell us? Then we had an Australian-style point system for immigration. Well, no. The Australians, sector by sector, work out how many people they need in the economy, what they can cope with. What we've done is to lower, lower the standards for those coming into this country from all over the world, which is why immigration is now running, legal immigration is now running at record levels. Add to that the numbers that have come, in many cases justifiably, from Hong Kong, Afghanistan and indeed Ukraine. And add to that those crossing the English Channel. And don't think one man, one young man, 
setting foot on the docks in Dover is one person because if they do qualify for asylum, the rest of their family will be coming too. So they failed on that. Investment in science, education, infrastructure and action to reach net zero. Would it be fair to them on infrastructure They've continued to build HS2. I think it's a mistake, but they have. And on net zero, well, yes, you're all paying the price of that and beginning to realise what a ruination it is. And finally, without raising taxes of income tax, VAT or national insurance, they've raised national insurance. I would suggest it might be better before promising many new things to complete what this government was elected to do. Why not stick to the 2019 pledges? Give me your thoughts, Farage at gbnews.uk. Now, joining me to talk leadership election, and given that today is the day the first ballot papers are going out to the membership, we think to about 170,000 people is the Member of Parliament for North West Leicestershire, and a persistent thorn in the side of, well, virtually every leader that's been, Andrew Bridgen. Only when they stepped out of line, Nigel. Right. First things first. You know, I've just been through that card, that 2019 Manifesto Pledge card. Some of it was entirely dishonest. Some of it's simply not going to get done. Wouldn't it be better to refocus on that rather than starting all over again? I think both the candidates want to see this as, as a clean start. Um, you're right, they're both making lots of, lots of pledges, uh, mainly around, uh, around tax. Um, I think it was Winston Churchill that said, if you know, democracy is turned out to who's going to give me the most, then ultimately there is no future for democracy because we're all heading for bankruptcy. I'm, I'm sceptical about making these pledges at this, at this time. Both candidates are doing it. Yeah, I mean, the fresh start. How is that fair on the country? How is 170,000 people voting for a new prime minister for a completely new set of policies fair on an electorate that gave them an 80-seat majority and trusted them to deliver? Well, when they voted for the Conservative Party, people knew they're the rules. Um, part the Parliamentary Party reduces it to two, and members of the party... Yeah, uh, I get all that. I get they, all that's that. the rules. It's, it's what's served us in, in the past. Well, it's um, not serving us very well. Well, we've got two good candidates. Um, we? We've got two good candidates. We had a, okay. a brilliant sp spread of quality and diversity in, in the slate. The Labour Party must be green with envy. And that was all on merit, Nigel. I mean, they were all excellent candidates. Well, if you say so, we'll believe you. Well, the, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating, well, won't it? will it? be, won't it? And yeah, we'll know that yeah, in, yeah. in five weeks' time. Yeah, well, in two years' time, we'll certainly know, won't we, with yet more pledges broken, I expect, but then I've become very cynical. So you're backing Rishi Sunak, Andrew? I am backing Rishi Sunak. Why? Um, because I think we're in a particularly difficult uh, situation uh, economically. I think he, he's got the experience and the gravitas to deal with it. And whoever wins just this break, election... Just to break in very quickly, if I can... For those watching on television, Penny Morden is now speaking in Exeter, where there's a big hustings tonight, and she has pledged her support to Liz Truss. That's just breaking right now. That's, that's, that's another help for the Trust's campaign. It would appear that the, the establishment and the media are breaking for Liz Truss. Um, that puts the pressure on Rishi. But, Nigel, it's very much like the referendum campaign, that the establishment all went one way and the membership went all the way. I don't believe the polls are, as, that, uh, are, are exactly what you, you've been reading. When you look, when you speak to your councillors, they're, they're much more split, and, and a third of them don't even know who they're going to vote for. Everyone's calling this for trust already. Um, it's a five-week campaign. I mean, the, apparently the rules have been changed so that members can even put their vote in and then change their vote afterwards by emailing in and saying, I want to change my decision. So 
This is a marathon and it's not a sprint. So we've got five weeks of campaigning and I'm sure we'll learn a lot more about both of the candidates than, than the public know now and the membership know now. Do you think Sudak is a lot better than Truss? I think um, his performance uh, is better than Truss uh, on the hustings. He's more polished. I think he'll be better at dispatch box. But also, when you look at the polling, he is the... We, we want a Conservative leader because the Conservative Party is the most successful party in the world bar none, despite your cynicism, and that's because we pick winners. And Rishi Sunak's the man who can beat Keir Starmer. The bit that surprises me slightly, Andrew, with you is, you know, you're a businessman, you're a free thinker, you're not constrained by party discipline <laughs> particularly, you're an ardent Brexiteer. And Sunak sort of epitomises really big state um, globalism. But, but he'd, only, he'd only been in the House uh, a few years, and he was nailed by David Cameron and asked, you know, will you back Remain? And he turned around and sacrificed years of his career by, by telling David Cameron straight, I'm going to campaign for, for leave, and I have to admire that. That was, that was strong principles. And, and he stuck with it. So, All right. Andrew Bridgen, thank you for making the case for Rishi Sunak, which is something that we needed to do. Well, we'll see what happens. Obviously, there is this intervention from Penny Mordaunt. Uh, the campaign goes on. Lots of debate over the weekend about the blue-on-blue -blue attacks. How much damage is that doing to the Conservative brand? Others, of course, take the view, actually, at least on tax, there has been a very healthy debate. Far too little debate, in my opinion, on net-zero targets and very, very few solutions being offered to the cross-channel problem. Uh, and I'll come back to that later in the show, because today will be the biggest day so far this year for Channel crossings. Tim Montgomery, former advisor to Boris in number 10, joins me. Blue on blue attacks, damaging the Tories or healthy debate on tax? It's hard to tell. I get a lot of people telling me that they are disappointed at how... People are saying, if you treat each other like this, how are you going to treat us? If you really care as less about people you're in, you know, Parliament with or in the party with, and you're willing to backbite and uh, criticise, what happens when I'm in trouble? Will you look after me? So I, I think there is a general problem. If the Conservative Party doesn't look like a, a party where, which cares about their own, our own, do they care about us? Well, they have been self-obsessed for the last eight or nine months, haven't they? The most important thing that the next Prime Minister needs to do when they arrive on the steps of Downing Street for the first time, and it will be Liz Truss, I'll come and eat my hat on your programme, <laughs> Nigel, if I'm wrong about this. But when Liz Truss appears on the steps of Downing Street, the first thing she must do is say, I'm sorry for how the Conservative Party has behaved over the last few weeks and months. We've looked self-indulgent. Mm, We've looked absolutely. obsessed with politics. Absolutely. And any minister, any person I appoint, who looks like they're more interested in their own career than in the future of this country, the problems you're facing with your energy bills, you know, basically feeding your family, I will not tolerate that. There cannot be a hint of self-congratulation. There cannot be a hint of the sense, I've suddenly become Prime no, Minister. No, and, and, and the rest of us aren't being asked. I mean, Andrew Bridgen was saying a moment ago that both candidates are looking for completely new policy platforms. This is not what they were elected, uh, you know, and given a massive majority on, which I find a, bit, a little bit frustrating. My point... And I'm asking the viewers this. Mm. You know, there is a 2019 manifesto. Um, it's, it hasn't really been done, has it? I thought it was very interesting what you said. And I think, to be fair, look, 
I think I, having watched your show on a number of occasions, I would have much preferred a Kemi Badenoch, Tom Tukenhart mm. final. Liz Truss was not my first choice. She, she, by the way, is speaking live now in the Exeter Hustings as we speak. Absolutely. Um, but she's going to win, you She's going to win, and she's certainly the preferred candidate for me, and I think, for overwhelmingly, I think, would be for the Tory members. Now, Penny Morgan's... partly because, just back to the question yeah. you just asked yeah. me, she's going to reverse the national insurance hike. Which, which is one which, of the most important broken be, pledges. And that would be consistent with what was said in Absolutely. 2019. And you're right. Get back to basics, if that's not a term that well, I perhaps shouldn't, you know, you know, shouldn't use. But I mean, Australian-style points, immigration system, the implication was we're going to reduce the numbers coming yeah. into Britain. That was what Boris was saying to yeah. people, and it hasn't happened. Yeah. In terms of the trust campaign, we've just seen Penny Morden tonight come out for her. Yeah. Um, I understand your suspicion is that more people will come out for trust. Not just more people who haven't identified for trust, but people who previously identified for Sunak. Sunak campaign is in such freefall, Nigel, that I think over the next few days we will see people who have previously said that they're backing the former Chancellor coming out for the current Foreign Secretary. It's a basic thing. I close my eyes at the horror of the Sunak campaign, just from a you know, basic organisational point of we view. We defend taxes where they are now with the biggest tax cutters since exactly. Nigel Lawson. It's not credible. Yeah. You cannot say to people, these tax cuts that Liz Truss are proposing are scary. They're going to cause problems. And then on the front of the Daily Telegraph... We're going to cut <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. People, sometimes politicians treat the public as absolute idiots. Mm. The public aren't idiots. They can see I the wonder, basic things. I wonder, Tim Montgomery, I wonder whether you realise how much trouble your party's in with the public. I absolutely realise how much trouble my party's in. I love the Conservative Party. We've disagreed on a number of occasions on, you know, uh, political tactics, and you know, although I did vote for you in the um, European <laughs> elections. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Conservative Party has now been in power for 12 years. Margaret Thatcher and the Conservatives under John Major were in power for 18 years. But in the 12 years, and, and by the end of those 18 years, they were broken. Yeah, people were completely fed up with them. But so 12 years perhaps isn't as long as 18. But they've been 12 very eventful years. A lot has happened. We've had recession. We've had the um, Brexit issue. We've had the energy crisis. We've had the Ukraine war. You name it. They've been hard years. The Tory party is intellectually exhausted. Actually which, which, exhausted. Which, and which, which for those of you fresh... at home and listening in the car, it means they're fresh out of ideas. They've no <laughs> idea what they're doing. And there's no plan whatsoever, is there? Well... They are interested. <laughs> Let me just finish, because I haven't given up on them. Maybe you have. I haven't given up on them. Um, it's going to take a special new leader to relaunch the Conservative yeah. Party. It's going to take someone who really gets the sense. I was with my family and friends for my birthday a couple of weeks ago, people who aren't... You know, they, they normally allow me to talk about two minutes. What, what, what you mean, normal people? Yeah, exactly. They normally allow me to talk about politics for two minutes and then they want to talk about yeah. football and yeah. house prices and all the yeah. other stuff that most people, you know, are more interested in. The word I remember most from that time, Nigel, was shabby. They were describing the party I love as shabby. They, mm. they feel that we've been self... If Liz Truss, when she becomes Prime Minister, which she will in the beginning of September... She has to look down the barrel of the camera and apologise yep. for how we've behaved. Now, well, it may not be enough. It may not be enough, but, it will but be that's a start. the beginning. All right, Tim, the listen, I hope I'm wrong. 
I hope that if Liz Trust does win, it's going to be a great new dawn for British politics and for the country and the restoration of trust between the voters and those across the water. So I asked you to give me your views. Should they stick to the 2019 manifesto pledges? A mixture of responses. Darrell says, it's over for Sunak. He should now get behind Liz Truss. Robert says, it seems as though Sunak is displaying a touch of desperation, Paul says. Why now? And not when he was Chancellor. Maybe to win votes from Conservative members. Oh, I love this. You're more cynical than me, you lot. Tony asks, why don't we use large landing craft to scoop up these dinghies and ship them straight back to France? And in destroy the dinghies when they are unloaded on French beaches. The problem is these dinghies are cheap, plastic injection moulded, one-time only dinghies. And whilst a lot have been impounded, it seems they're back. And Steve-O says, Lionesses winning the World Cup. That would be incredible. Well, it would be. Now, look, I watched that game last night and I have to say how much I loved it. Uh, and I posted immediately on social media afterwards expressing exactly how I felt, because it seemed to me that these England women's players are so much more decent than most of the men. Not spoilt, capable of speaking properly, and not a stupid haircut in sight. Well done. And that's how I felt about it. And it was the outbreaking of joy was astonishing. I mean, they basically, the team basically hijacked the official press conference. They stormed in there, and you can either see or hear this, I mean, they just took it over and sung It's Coming Home. It was absolutely hilarious. I loved every minute of it. Very, very good. And today, in Trafalgar Square, well, much the same thing, really. And uh, GB News' Paul Hawkins was down there in Trafalgar Square earlier on today asking people how they felt. Atmosphere is unreal. So to th we would have never have had this a few few years ago. Yeah. And then just look at the chaos now, what it's causing. Everyone's come together to support our women and what a good job they've done. Yeah, I'm a Palace fan. I had a season ticket growing up, so now it's so nice to see the women's game coming up as well, matching the men's game. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's very good, uh, especially the finals. Greatest match was the first one, yeah. slipped over their heads. We actually live in Germany, in Berlin, and we're over visiting family, so the final between England and Germany was a bit uh, tense. Oh, yeah, right, a bit of family rivalry there. <laughs> yeah, but we're, we're just so elated that England, England won. Who's been your favourite player? Uh, Chloe Kelly. Chloe Kelly, who scored the winner yeah. last night, yeah. I'm just hoping that they make the tickets and the matches more accessible to the youngsters, the young yeah. girls. This and is boys. your granddaughter. You two look similar. Yeah. Yes. How have you found this? Huh? How have you found this? Amazing, and they deserve the cup. Yeah. They've just proved to us that they could do anything. They, um, they, they can, they can. So they push themselves to the limit, and yeah, it's a boys and a girls game. Never in my wildest dreams I think we'd be here yeah. celebrating this. So, no, onwards and upwards, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I'm really, really proud. And that just proves it, because um, the, the, the boys England couldn't get to, get to, the, um, to win, but the girls can. <laughs> well, that was terrific, wasn't it? Well, joining me to talk about this is a former lioness capped by England, no fewer than 60 times in the position of goalkeeper, Pauline Cope, or now, as you are, Pauline Bonus. Um, did you ever believe this would happen? 
Never in a million years, Nigel. Never in a million years. It was, um, it was I had three dreams, dreams as a child. One was to win the FA Cup, one was to play at Upton Park, and one was to play for England. And I achieved all my three dreams. Never was a dream to be a professional, and to win the Euro yesterday was just unreal, unbelievable. And, you know, when you were playing women's football, you know, 60 caps over many, many years, mm. and described at one point as the greatest female goalkeeper in the world, and all those accolades that you got, but actually, let's be honest about it, a lot of people, a lot of men particularly, looked down their nose, didn't they, at women's football? They, they did, um, but it didn't deter me from playing. You know, I'm, you know I'm, I'm probably one of few that didn't really get any many comments growing up because the area I lived in, my brother taught me to play football. I played football from the age of 13 in my school, my secondary school. It was an all-girls school. Then I went on and played for Millwall Lionesses. And, you know, my husband, he's a, a football coach. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have had a lot of nasty comments um, which we don't welcome. Um, I'm in, I'm in a, a, a WhatsApp group that's mainly full of men, and even yesterday there was comments and fo photos on there, and I actually replied, I'm, I'm done with this crap. I've had to fight for this and mm. deal with this my entire playing career and beyond, and enough's enough. But is this, is this the moment? Is this... I mean, you know, 17 million people watched that yesterday. It's unbelievable. Mm. And you can see. And certainly, I went shopping this morning. That's all anybody was talking about in the shops. There was a great sense of joy about it. The odd cynic, yes, you get that with everything. Mm. It wouldn't matter what happened. But is this, will it be just a high watermark and will it go? Or will it like cycling? You know, cycling, suddenly we start winning loads of gold medals and people start cycling in huge numbers. Is this going to be a big change? I hope so. I'd like to think so. We're on a crest of a wave at the minute and we want to continue riding that wave. It needs to start into schools, it yeah. needs to start in grassroots clubs. Um, you know, I saw on your clip there, there's so many young girls yeah. who will be inspired. I'm actually inspired now to maybe go back into coaching um, because of what Serena's done and how she has... Um, conducted herself and the players. Um, it needs to start at grassroots. I mean, my husband's a manager of Welling United Women, and even they, no matter how much the club are invested in them, they still have to get their own sponsorship. Mm. And that shouldn't be the case. We're talking tier six of women's football. Um, five tiers above, you're in the women's Premier League, yeah. or the women's Super League, so... And the school thing is an issue, isn't it? Uh, because, Pauline, I was reading the other day, the number of teenage girls doing no physical exercise or activity whatsoever is really reaching alarming levels. It is shocking. It needs to start at primary school um, and then you just f continue it to your secondary school, to college. Um, I mean, when I was growing up, all I ever wanted to do was play football. You know, and not only by playing football, it made me healthier, I had morals, um, I had to be somewhere at a time. So it gives you life skills, you meet loads of forever life friends, I've got lifelong friends, lifelong enemies. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it is. it needs to start at grassroots and, you know, it's good for your mental health, it's good for your physical health. Um, and it yeah, needs and to... team games teach a bit of discipline too. 100%. Yeah, the world's 100%. not just about you. Exactly, exactly. Um, and it needs to start, if it's not already, it needs to start now. So when the kids go back in September, football mm, needs to be yeah. on their curriculum. Well, I hope it is. I really hope it I is. I hope it is. And uh, what a great moment. And, yeah, you must, have been, you must have felt so proud of them. I was as proud, just as proud winning my first cap for England. I was proud yesterday at Wembley. I was looking around 
tears streaming down my face to think, wow, we have come so far and there's so many people behind the scenes that have fought for this day yeah. and so many people and um, players that have fought for this day and them players yesterday, they deserve everything that's come in their way good. They have, well, they, are, they have been amazing. It's come home. They've done a great job. It has job. come home. Pauline, thank you home. for joining us here. No, thank you for having me. On GB News. Thank well, you. it was really terrific stuff. Now, a couple of What the Farage moments. I found this newspaper clipping from 1997. It's from Associated Press, and it was written about a survey that was done by Time CNN in America. And it said nearly nine out of ten black teenagers said racism had little impact on their day-to-day -day lives. Now, it did say it may be a problem in society, but nine out of ten young black people in America 25 years ago saying racism had not adversely affected their day-to-day -day life. And it all makes me wonder, and it all makes me think where we've got to today. Because now we're telling young black people that they are victims. They are victims. The world is against them. And we're telling increasingly at school and university young white children that their forebears were dreadful people, that they're somehow guilty because of that past, and they themselves have white privilege that they should almost be ashamed of. I don't think this is a good or a healthy way to go. And I think these deliberate divisions that somebody out there, the Marxists out there, are trying to force between black and white people is just about the most unhealthy thing we have seen in society. We all want equality of opportunity. Of course we do. But this constant attempt to paint one group as being victims and the others, frankly, as being oppressors, is wrong and it's very, very bad for society. Now, how about this? for a What the Farage moment. Lawrence Fox, we know Lawrence Fox is controversial. He'll be on the Mark Stein show after this. The new Pride emblem. Lawrence put four of them together and it came out with a symbol a bit like a swastika and he tweeted it out. Now, I'm not for one moment suggesting that was necessarily a very mature or sensible thing to do. But it was retweeted by somebody and this is how he was greeted by his local police force. And I, I just find it absolutely astonishing that an ordinary member of the public, a military veteran, can tweet something out and finish up with four police officers coming to his house, four police officers, because someone has taken offence at what has been put up online. And those of you watching this on television can see this footage there he is being cuffed. I mean, what a complete and utter waste of time. Dreadful, given what's happening with serious crime in this country. All of it videoed, all of it filmed. And there, you know, the guy didn't cause any, uh, any particular problem for the police, just said what a load of nonsense this is. But, you know, it does open questions about our police force, about what they're doing, and this is less a reflection, I think, on the individual men and women serving as police officers, but it's very much about their bosses. On Thursday, I said to you that the new boss of Greater Manchester Police has said to them, smarten up, you know, clean your shoes, get your hair cut, look authoritative in what you do, and I rather agree with them. Well, have a look at this particular message that was put out over the course of the weekend 
by Henry Bolton. And it referred to police officers in Croydon at a Pride event that took place last month. And Henry feels incredibly strongly about this. You know, he says he's basically ashamed to be a former police officer. He's ashamed that they're scruffy. He's ashamed that they're politicised. He's ashamed that they're not commanding proper respect. And you can see here the police officers... I mean, police officers dancing. Police officers looking scruffy as hell. And I have to say, I thought Henry Bolton was absolutely right to say what he said. So let's get smarter police, let's get non-political police, and let's get police worried a little bit less about what is said on the internet, a little bit more concerned about the day-to-day -day problems that are blighting the lives on a regular basis of millions and millions of people. Yeah, that used to be, that's it's I... that time of the day. It's talking pints. And I think, actually, actually, it's a bit of a celebration, really, isn't it? Because it's come home. Yes, the England football team have won a major football championship, but it wasn't the men. It was the women that did it, and Peter and Steph Shilton joined me. Should we just say well done to the England Definitely, team? yeah, I mean, they deserved it. Very it much so. Pretty good, wasn't yeah. it? Cheers. I have to apologise, mine's coat, but uh, I had a hip-hop about two weeks ago, so uh, I, I normally have a pint, that's my favourite. Well, well, we don't force anybody <laughs> on this show, Peter, I can assure you. How good was that yesterday? Um, it couldn't have been any better, really. I thought it was, it was a great game. A bit more physical to start with uh, than uh, I've seen women's football. The Germans, I thought, tried to knock us off a stride. But right through the tournament, the football they played attacking football, and their attitude towards the game was, was superb. I thought, you know, there was, there was no play-acting, you know, very few moments at the referee. It was just good, open, honest football. Yeah, not many prima donnas, nobody with a silly show-off haircut. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I thought about it. Yeah. Um, and they all seemed genuine and nice and the joy seemed real. Yeah. And I wonder sometimes... Not you, of course, in your day, but I do wonder sometimes with our football players, has just the sheer amount of money spoiled it ever so slightly? I think there's an element of that. You know, you get um, a little bit, I think the word prima donnas, you do yeah. get a bit of that, I think, and a lot of play acting. And, uh, you know, play, play, players going down for no reason in football these days, which I think spoils it. You know, I think the crowd appreciated the, the honesty of, of the women's game. Um, Personally, I think it's down to clubs and managers to, to sort their own team out. And, you know, um, cheating isn't part of the game. And if you're trying to go down in the box for no reason, that's cheating. Yeah, yeah. Gamesmanship's one thing, Game but cheating yeah, is a very... Yeah, there's always a bit of game. Because that's psychology. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. No, and, uh, it's crazy. And, 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 Steph, I mean, how did you feel yesterday watching it? I loved it. Because, obviously, when I met Peter, I thought he was a musician, as one would. <laughs> Couldn't be far from and So my knowledge of um, football has, has had to escalate very, very quickly. But I loved it. Yeah. I love the fact that they can make decisions very quickly and the pace of them, you know... I, I, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. How good are goalkeepers, are they? Come on, be honest. I, be I honest. was really impressed with the goalkeepers. Um, you know, Mary Earps, I thought, uh, was very commanding in the air, which, to be fair, I, I would say, I've got to be honest and say, I've, you know, I've, 
I've always felt that maybe the goalkeeping area in women's football has always been a little bit of the weakness, but uh, not yesterday, and uh, both keepers, I thought, did really well. I think you're one of millions, you see. I think a lot of people were a bit sceptical about women's football. And the number of people I got texting me saying, Oh, my goodness me, I love this. It was terrific. Yeah. So, I mean, let's hope it leads on to something. Yeah, I mean, I've been fo we've been following uh, women's football, you know. We've Lionesses been, we've been Lionesses, following Yeah, time. we have done. And Jill Scott, which she sent us a few texts thanking us for things we've said. Yeah. So we're not sort of new to the game, but obviously it's progressed beyond... This is the start of women's football. I mean, let's hope that's right. Let's yeah. hope so. Yeah. I mean, if it's not, there's something wrong. Yeah, I, it, do you know what? I think it probably is. Mm. I, I, something says to me that it probably is, mm. and if it inspires... You know, a couple of million of young girls around the country just start wanting to play well, football. Well, I think it's done that already, but what they want really is sponsorship, money coming into the game uh, that's obviously going to yeah, you know, help progress it and, and help the youngsters right down the chain. You know? Yeah, no, Paulie was making those points just, yeah. just a few moments ago. Peter, your career, amazing career. I mean, 125 caps for England, over 1,000 first-class games, more than anybody's ever, <laughs> ever managed to do. Um, big highs, big lows, I guess. Yeah, well, 30-year career, you're going to have those sort of moments. And um, obviously, uh, you know, some, some great highs uh, winning two European Cups as it, it's now Champions some, League. With, for those watching us on telly, we're seeing, yeah, we're seeing we're, Peter through the years. <laughs> <laughs> I've, put, I've left the curly wig at home now. But, but, uh, yeah, uh, obviously, you know, um, won two uh, European Cups with Nottingham Forest and... Yep. Uh, and um, obviously for England, you know, got very close to getting in the World Cup final on, on uh, a couple of occasions. Yes. Um, but no, yes. I was... We I was... are not, by the way, because today's a day to celebrate all things football. We will not be showing the Maradona clip, all right? <laughs> well, that, that's, that's a good thing, really, because it was uh, the greatest player in the world getting away with cheating and not, not apologising, which is... I think the worst. Never thing did, ever. did he? No, never did because um, whatever reason, I thought he uh, he played up to the crowd a little bit. But you know, that's that's he cheated. I was getting the ball, and um, you know, a lot of a lot of people know that and uh, and don't respect him for that. No, well, it's obvious, isn't it? And Peter, what what happens when you've had a, when football's been your life? You know, as a professional, um, a true professional, which you were, when you have to retire, it must feel it must feel like you're bereaved. Um, to a certain point, I mean, I, I finished with England on a high after the 1990 World Cup when we got to the semi-final. Uh, I'd been there 20 years and I felt it was the right time to go out. I didn't want to be one of those players that got dropped and left out because I was too old. Um, so, you know, I was happy with my England career and, um, yeah, and, you know, once I knew that, you know, I wasn't really enjoying it as much as... You know, and as you get older, you know, every single mistake you make, oh, he's too old, he's aged, you leave yourself open to criticism. I mean, I've always had criticism being a goalkeeper, but, you know... It, you it, can't do right, can you? No, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember we played Nottingham Forest in the semi-final of the European Cup and we, we were 2-0 down at home against Cologne, which was unheard of, and got 3-2 in front. They brought on a Japanese player... Uh, I can't remember his name, who in the last couple of minutes turned and hit a shot and he, he was going to bounce in front of it but kept low and it sort of hit my elbow and it was 3 all, you know. And uh, I picked up the paper next day and it says Japanese sub sink Shilton. So <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought I was going to... Unfortunately, we beat 1-0 over there and got to the final. <laughs> but you went through all that. I mean, the level of 
the level of public exposure mm. that your mug had. Yeah. You couldn't go anywhere, you were mega famous, you were doing well, you weren't quite earning the money that they earn today, no. but, you were, but you were doing all right. Yeah. You were doing all right. And then a problem that befell you, which seems to befall so many people, sports people, mm. and the more famous they are, it seems the more the problem of gambling befalls them. Yeah. Is, is that because you finish up not being able to go out and live a normal life, you're spending time on your own? Where does the gambling thing... Um, why is it so common in sportsmen, is really my question? Yeah. Well, I think sportsmen live on a high, you know, they, they, when they perform. I mean, I started playing for Leicester when I was 16, mm. regular 17. Um, you know, and you, you obviously it's changed completely since then, gambling. I mean, the industry now is out of control. But as a, as a, a person betting, um, I think, you know, you get a lot of spare time to relax mm. when you're playing football. You've got to train, but then you've got to relax. You've got to put your feet up, ready for the next game. And it's, it's a bit boring at times, so it's quite easy then to just to start. If you've got that inkling to start picking up the phone or, I mean, these days you have phones when I started. So easy now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so easy now, so even more so. And I think that's really the temptation. And once you get into it, it can overtake you very quickly. No, we're not against, you know, gambling as such, but, you know, we do know that there's more and more addicts, which I was mm. for, for, well, 45 years all in, but obviously it got worse probably more when I finished playing football and the internet came in. And, you know, it was, it's a real, real problem. And you do get people saying, well, I can have a tenner on, what's the problem and yeah. all this? But the problem is that it's ruining people's lives. Yeah. I mean, isn't it like... Suicides every day. And that's why... Like, like, you know, it's like a drink, isn't it? You know, yeah. for most people... Drugs, for anything. Most, yeah. For most people, a drink's not a problem, but for some, it's absolutely catastrophic and ruinous. Yeah. And gambling is very similar. Because yeah. for most people, it's a tenner on the national. Yeah. Or whatever it is. But, yeah. I, but, think, I think, Nigel, sorry to bust in, but on. I do think, in answer to your question, mm. with sportsmen and footballers, mm. with a gambling addict, there's a huge element of a secret life. So it's a secret addiction, it's a hidden addiction. Mm, and mm. I think in the nature of what their social life is like, they have to be quite introvert, don't they, within, you know, when they're not playing. And I think you can't live gambling a normal would life. give them no. that massive high that they would get from football, yeah. but at the same time it will give them that false solace of, of, of you know, being yeah. on their own. So he was gambling for 45 years? Yes. Has he stopped? Yes, seven and a half years ago. Yeah. But we didn't just run off into the sunset, Nigel, and live happily ever after. No. It was a mountain we so climbed. So how did you stop? How did you stop? How did you get him to stop? Or how did he get himself to stop? I think, obviously, I recognised there was a huge problem, and I opened a bank statement and then found the the extent of, of his losses and how chronic it was, which then enabled me to be able to openly try and talk to Peter about it. But I think, really, I sort of brainwashed him. He said I was a bit like a, a manager of a football club. <laughs> so I started, I started using... Who would you compare it to? <laughs> I started using... Brian Clough. <laughs> yeah, I think I was a modern cluffy. Um, I started using the word lose on a daily basis as opposed to win, win, win. Um, which is what bookmakers throw at people all the time. Everything's win, win, win. 
And also, I started to plant, you know, different ideas into his head, you know, like, you know, you're never going to win, and the whole time you're doing this, you know, we, we can't do this, and we can't... Can't get married on that. We can't so. get married, you know, I said, the whole time it's in our life, because to me it was like have him having an affair. It was like a third party was involved in our relationship, mm, um, which is quite a common feeling for loved mm. ones that are living with a gambling addict. Mm. And I think, think the biggest thing you lose besides money, because nobody wins at gambling, or very sport. I mean, one of the big CEOs of a gambling company says, was he 99 points something of, of punters lose. lose. So, so I think because of, I fell in love with Steph and, and vice versa, and, you know, I didn't want to lose her, that helped me, obviously. But I was getting a little bit where I was thinking, well, you never win. You know, all your football career is about winning, winning trophies, winning, training hard, but you never win. So why are you spending so much time and effort on something that you only lose at? See, but that was the little voice in the background planting that lose, in his mind, lose. so he was starting to turn around. So that's what happened, Nigel. So the positive in your life became a negative in your life? In yes, yes, yeah, very much so. I think, obviously... Steph had an the NHS background, escape, yeah, and she, yeah. she called it an illness as well. You know, yeah. I've, I've had people in the past come to me and say, Peter, you know, you should be stopping this, you know, you've got a problem and all this. Mm. And, and when, what fuels gambling is money. You know, if you've got money coming in, that will fuel gambling. You will gamble whatever you've got coming in. And, you know, it it's kind of fuels the addiction to a certain degree. But if somebody tells you, look, no, no, you go, no, 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 I haven't, no, I haven't, because I know I've got money coming in and, you know, I might yeah, get it yeah. back. And that's the big thing that, that happens. Yeah. And unfortunately, yeah. it's getting worse and worse, especially, you know, suicides, which is the reason I actually came out, like we wrote a book last September called Saved from my side of it as an addict and Steph's yeah. side of it as somebody who, who's with a loved one. Yeah. And the plan now is to help others, yeah? It is, yeah. because we need to change the language around gambling addiction. We need to see it as a mental health illness, uh, uh, you know, what it is. It is on the increase, um, because unfortunately, as you know, Nigel, in mm. particularly in football, it's being normalised, you know, to, to have a bet, which is, you know, which is, yeah. is worrying. But I think, <clears throat> you know, my message, obviously, in the work that I'm doing, is to try and reach out to parents and loved ones and and, and make them aware that yeah. the small amount, it can be a big and where problem. where should they go? Where should people go for help? Well, I'm, I'm an ambassador and I work as a therapist for um, an addiction charity called ARA. So there, there's an awful lot of help out there. Um, but again, we need to get rid of the stigma. So a lot of the work I, that I do is, uh, you know, is to go out and raise yeah. that awareness, Nigel, of um, how serious the problem can get and how to look at it as an, as an illness. Yeah. Well, keep up the good work. Thank you so much. It couldn't have been a better day. For you to come in on of Talking course, Pines. yeah, on a, on a high. And, and uh, uh, we'll finish off by saying, well done, England. Well done, well done England. Oh, Very good. Thank you. Great to see you both. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. OK, it's time for Barrage the Farage. I've no idea what you've sent me today, so here goes. Bobby says... Have you fallen in love with a lionesses like the rest of us? Yes, I think we have, haven't we? We certainly have. I'll let the Shilton speak for me. But yeah, look, this is not a flash in the pan. It's not going to go away. There's going to be 
I tell you what, there'll be, this September when the schools go back, if young girls are not having the opportunity to play football, there will be considerable parent and pupil anger. I can feel it, it's coming, something very positive is going to come out of this, I'm sure. Joe asks me, oh, this is a good one. Now, the Premier League have announced today that they will not be taking the knee for every game as they have been. Joe says, would Schultz take the knee? Um, well, when this happened um, a, f a few years ago now, a couple of two or three years ago, yeah, yeah. and I, I said at the time, not that you know it's anything to do with race. I just, you know, I just don't think there's such a massive problem, you know, with with race, and I don't, I wouldn't have done it myself. I mean, what I would have done is we would have had a team meeting, and if yes. ten players had said, yeah, we think we should. I would, my preference would have been no. I don't think it's needed because I don't. I think race is, is you know, it's it's exaggerated it's more used. than what it should used be. Used as a means of dividing yeah. us, and yeah. it's and it's horrible. We, we see, all, we, we see all so want much, fairness. Yeah. We all want fairness. No, absolutely. The game's full of no, black players. You know. Peter, thank you very much indeed. Now. Today, in the English Channel, was the busiest day so far this year. Something like 25 small boat incidents in the Channel. Haven't got the final tally of how many have come today. It'll be 600. It could be 700. It'll take it through 17,000 for the year. Bear in mind what I said earlier. Every one young man that lands at Dover, if they're allowed to stay, they could bring four or five more family members. And it's unfair and it's absolutely wrong on those who legally want to come to this country and go through what is now a very expensive and lengthy process. I'm going to return to this theme. It was a theme that I was really one of the first people to pick up on over two years ago. Um, I'm going to return to this theme, and tomorrow we will have an inside exclusive explaining to you what the Albanian gangs are doing, how they're doing it, and what the price is now to come across the English Channel or to come by yacht in the middle of the night or to get on the back of a lorry. If we can find this information out, if we can present it to you as an exclusive tomorrow, why the hell are the government not doing more? And why is Pretty Patel intent on giving tens of millions of pounds more to the French? It seems the more money we send them, the more people that come. I will be back with you tomorrow, giving you all of that tomorrow evening. In a moment, it'll be the Mark Stein Show. But first, the all-important weather.